Thank you for joining us. This is episode 20 of Amateur 3D Podcast, a podcast by amateur printers for amateur printers, where we share our thoughts and experience. Our panelists this week are me, Franklin Christensen, and my friends, Andy Cottom, Kevin Buckner, and Chris Weber. That's episode 20, guys. That's wow. getting up there. We're actually doing yeah. something. Considering uh, there was always that chance that we wouldn't even last this far. Yeah, right. it's working out pretty good. I agree. Andy, <laughs> have you worked on any projects this week? Um, you know, I actually did. Uh, after we finished recording uh, last week here, uh, I sat down. Me and Chris uh, stayed online, and we're just kind of a little bit. And I, uh, I put together a um, strap adjuster um, for a uh, mask that uh, I'm going to be wearing to an event the wife's hauling me down to. And uh, I printed it out of TPU so I wouldn't have to worry about it breaking. And it worked mm. out really good. Uh, Chris pointed out something that was very unique. He, he mentioned that the offset middle pin in those adjusters make them grab better than the ones that are always centered. And if you, if you look at some of the straps, some of the better quality ones, you'll find that they're off-centered. And I yep. saw the same thing. So I tried making an off-centered one. And it's, I mean, I, I've already made another strap adjuster. And this one was no different, even it was the same size. I just had to rebuild it because I'm moving away from SolidWorks and into FreeCAD. So I didn't have my old drawing for it. So I redrew it. And uh, it definitely works better with an offset middle pin on the adjuster. So that was kind of a fun little thing. Okay. Uh, FreeCAD, moving to FreeCAD has been kind of fun. It's different, but still kind of the same. I'm, I'm noticing different things that it struggles with and other things it does, you know, a lot better with. It's been kind of a fun little experience. I've got a, uh, <clears throat> a couple of projects coming up. Um, this last week here, I printed me a new phone case. We were talking about printing outside your printer's dimensions and things like that. And uh, so I, I printed me a new phone case, and it's got more problems than the original one does. I made a lot more errors. <laughs> I just... Uh, you know, because I had to redraw the whole thing again. My original one was in SolidWorks, so I redrew the whole the whole thing in FreeCAD, and I just made some dumb errors, and I didn't test it, I didn't check it, you know, and uh, so it turns out to be too short, which raises the problem of how I printed the first one when the first one was like four millimeters longer, and I didn't have to change any of the settings to make my printer print outside its normal ways, but this time I had to adjust that and it's shorter so i got some weirdness going on there and uh, i wound up using five layers of tpu at 0.2 millimeters for the living hinge and i discovered that is too much way too much it's very it very like stiff yeah it doesn't like to bend so i'm going to go back down to the three because the original one was three layers but only the middle layer was running lengthwise that really worked well as the hinge so the next one, I'm going to put the top and bottom layer running lengthwise to act as the hinge. And then the first one started to tear at the living hinge. So I think at the very edges of the hinge for like maybe three millimeters, I'll bump it up to five layers thick through there to give it a little bit more, a bit, you know, so it won't likely tear right there. But instead of the whole thing being five, it'll just be those, those one little sections there. So, so I do find myself wondering if, because I swear you talked about rotating it, mm -hmm. um, I guess, 45 degrees. 
Yes. So that the layer lines go across the hinge both ways instead of just yeah. one going the length of the hinge. Um, oh, God, we did talk about that, and I didn't experiment with that. Now, I can see the problem with that being that you won't be able to print corner to corner on your printer. You'd have to print the length or width of it. Now, Cura does have an option to change the direction of your infill, which okay. is where most of that... Yeah, so you can just set a degrees. I could just tell it because I still got to print the phone case 45 degrees because it's like mm -hmm. 355 millimeters long right now. And my mm -hmm. bed's only a 300 by 300. So I already got to tilt it 45 degrees, but then I can go and change the infill pattern to also print out a 45 degrees. That way I can get that effect. But I completely forgot about that. That's a brilliant idea. I, and then all of the layers are contributing to the support instead of bending yeah. along some of the layers. So Yeah, yeah, no kidding. So th that'll work good. And then I can go back down to the three layers, which seem to work really well. I'm going to do that. But it's, it's a project I'm kind of putting off a little bit because that first print was so involved with trying to get my printer to print outside of its range and stuff like that. And uh, so I want to give it a little bit of time before going back to that again. While I was checking it out, though, I was concerned about the heater. We talked about heat soaking the bed a little bit because I would be printing mm -hmm. on the bed where the heater is not on the bed underneath. And I wound up getting my, my thermal camera out and watching the bed heat up. And I'm sure other people have a very, they probably all use a very similar heater structure because it's just cheap to do. But uh, I tell you what, that bed gets hot very evenly. Now I've got a, um, a tempered glass bed. It's just a, I think it's a quarter inch. Yeah, I think it's a quarter inch tempered glass bed. And then directly underneath that, the heater is um, adhered to the bottom of the bed. And th that's all my bed is. It's very simple. And um, it heats up very evenly across the entire length of the bed um, with about maybe three or four degrees difference as it's coming up to temperature. Um, it, it stops at the temperature and it, it stays there for you know a while and the bed continues, the glass continues to heat up very evenly. And the heat even goes out past the sides of the heater underneath. So I was thinking it would be even in more towards the center of the heater where you get the correct temperatures. But I was kind of surprised to see that it was a little bit, it was a couple millimeters outside where the physical heater stopped, where you really get the drop in temperature. But uh, so for those who are you know, concerned about that, at least in my experience, if it's similar to the TiVo Tornado's 110 volt uh, bed heater, uh, heats very, very evenly. I was very impressed with that. But um, uh, let's see, what else did I do? Oh, I've got a project coming up this next week. I've got uh, canister filters for my fish tank. And I, I went very cheap when I bought these. They're only like $40 canisters. And and everybody complains about the pumps on them underperforming, and they do. They're if I'm going to tease Chris for talking about something two episodes apart, I'm going to talk yeah. to you about it too, Andy. You Did talked I talk about, about this, this subject a couple of weeks ago? Printing a new impeller? Not a new impeller. I thought you were going to go into your filters. Oh, nope. I already did that a while back. I printed a, uh, a baffle <laughs> in between the filters. And uh, when I pulled that apart, it worked out really good. It's working good. That's where no, I thought I, this was going. Forget I said anything. Nah. Continue. No, nah, you're fine. 
Anyway, the little cavity that the impeller is in on this pump, the impeller is like half the size of the cavity. And that looks like a standard across the board with all of these kind of pumps. But it makes me wonder, why is it only half the size of that cavity? So this week here, I'm going to go in, I'm going to try to print a little adapter that I can clip onto the top of it to make it almost a full size and see how that changes the flow of the pump. Um, these are one of those neat pumps where the entire, the entire motor itself is just a coil around a tube, essentially. And then inside that tube where you got the water is where you got the magnetic impeller. And it's just the, um, the uh, uh, magnetic field from the coil pulsating that causes the impeller to actually spin. So putting an extra load on the impeller, I don't think will change anything. It will just mean it'll either not work or it will work kind of thing. And uh, But this will be something to kind of experiment with. I'm kind of excited to, to print something like that. And, and if it wasn't for fish stuff, this is a situation where I really wish I had Kevin's printer because it's small. I'm only going to be working at about maybe four or five millimeters tall and maybe 12 millimeters around, maybe closer to 15 millimeters around. Um, the impeller is only that size. So I'll be printing a pretty small device here. It'd be nice to have the kind of resolution that, that Kevin could pull off or stuff like that. But oh, we'll have to see what happens with the uh, FDM printer. But, uh, yeah. I think that's all I got going on or, or all that. I know it was kind of a bit, so apologize for ranting. But uh, You suddenly got me wondering, Andy, have you ever heard of a hero's engine? A he no, that one doesn't sound familiar at all. So it, it's a steam engine that spins rather than your traditional... Um, uh, Is that the one engine? with the two L-shaped tubes popping yeah. out the sides? Yeah. So it's a ball... And oh, the expanded air comes out at an angle and creates that moment of inertia. Yeah. And um, Adam Savage did a video on one that he spent, I think he said he tried to get it to work for a week and he was coming up on the deadline for his sponsor. And he's yeah. like, okay, well, let's just do our best. And even if it doesn't work, there will be something on film that they can probably use. Right. Yeah. So he goes in there and while he's doing the last check to see if it'll work with dry ice, yeah, it works. It starts spinning. And uh, all I could think of while you were talking about this impeller is I wonder how it would work to have that on a hero's engine. <laughs> That'd be kind of fun. I think the that fish would have issues with the extreme heat or the extreme cold involved. <laughs> Probably. It'd have to be operated from outside of the tank maybe yeah no, you it would take it, if you were going to do it with uh liquid nitrogen it would take a preventatively expensive amount <laughs> yeah no kidding to operate regularly so there's that too yeah. yeah well i would look into just getting another pump for these all together but they don't really make inline pumps aquarium pumps with that kind of impeller setup and uh, or at least not ones as neatly designed as this i mean they, they pretty much just took a tube that the water would pass through put a coil around it and then put a p impeller on the inside it's just like a super super simple setup and i love that i think that's really cool and so uh but other other ones are are bigger they're bulkier or they have to go in the tank because I, I don't want my pump in the tank itself and uh a, a bunch of other reasons behind it so 
I'll have to see if I can make the pump that's on here work a little bit better. And I'm sure there's got there's got to be a reason why the impeller is like half the size because I see it on all of those kind of pumps. They all seem to be undersized impellers for the cavity that they reside in. So I want to experiment to find out why, you know, because I'm sure it probably won't work better. But I'm curious why it doesn't work better. It would be kind of a fun um, little project. I would yeah, wager that there's fluid dynamics to it. Yeah. Probably some kind of explanation on the internet. Yeah. Well, when you, when you see a lot of other blower style pumps like that, they do fill the, like the entire, the, the prop itself does go into the entire like cavity of the, you know, the, the, the spinning part. It's weird that these ones stop prematurely. They're like yeah. half the size of the cavity that they're inside. So what are it, they moving? And I'm not talking about the circumference. I'm talking about like the height of the unit itself. Are they um, using different? Are are they moving different materials? As one for air and one for water? Yes, very much so. Yeah, yeah, that is okay, very true. That's, that's probably it. Yeah. Anyway, I want to play with it and see. Fair. That'll be a fun print to do, and, and especially since it's such a tiny little print. Uh, I get to kind of think more in layer line thickness for the print because there's it will be no infill you know so mm -hmm. I, I print with a 0.6 nozzle so my fins should probably 1.2 millimeters i think would be best so i'm going to make them 1.2 millimeters so i get a full swipe down and a full swipe back up from the head you know little little things like that i get to kind of think of how the printer's going to print it to make it optimized for such a small little tiny print i almost yeah, wonder if you, you want to reduce it by a tenth of a millimeter just so that there's that ever least little bit of overlap so they yeah. hold together yeah we're gonna let you experiment with the bigger nozzle before we jump into it right frank me experience with a bigger nozzle no andy we're gonna let no, andy let, let, let me see how the bigger nozzle does oh yeah <clears throat> before we before we jump in onto that ship right i just <laughs> i just Add an extra internal wall if I want it thicker. I don't. I'm not going to buy a bigger nozzle right away, but it, it's really a lack of need to play with it right now. If that changes, you know, I'll I'll shift gears. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's fine. But the bigger nozzle. I haven't. I've only experienced positive things. When I first changed it over, I was not running the Arachne engine for Kira. Mm -hmm. And I was losing detail. But as soon as I upgraded Kira to version 5, I think it was, that uses the Arachne engine and was slicing stuff with that, I was no longer using, losing the detail. I had got the mm -hmm. detail back with the 0.6 nozzle. Okay. So other than lower print times and being able to do much uh, uh, stronger overhangs without supports mm -hmm. uh, has been very useful with the larger nozzle. But... You can kind of compensate for that by lowering your um, uh, or increasing your resolution, lowering your, your layer height. That way you're not printing off of the part for your shell layer. You know, mm -hmm. if you have the layer height, then it's going to take two layers to get to that, that, you know, drop off. So it works a little yeah. bit better with lower layer height. So, you know, it's, there's not, there's things you can do to get around going with the bigger nozzles. So there's nothing wrong with going with either but I think I'm going to stick with the 0.6. It's been doing me good. Okay, good deal. Chris, you work on anything this week? Nope. Nope. No death, no taxes. <laughs> Actually, it's no death, only taxes. 
And yes, <laughs> and yes, I was doing taxes this week and uh, yep, dealing with that. But hey, that's I'm enough of a headache all on its own. Uh, yeah, well, I finished up last night and I'm ready to file, so that's nice. So well, there you go. Done. out of the way. Um, I still need to do ours. So, oh, I did find nice. something out about my printer though this week because I was goofing around with my old, you know, hooking my old laptop up, up in my office. You know, because um, I was working on getting that updated to Windows 11. And What's that? So, yeah. that um, Well, so occasionally, um, my like if I've left my printer on for, you know, I don't know, three, four weeks, um, <clears throat> the my computer won't, re won't see it on the COM port anymore. So reset my computer and reset Cura. But until I reset my printer, my printer will not... Uh, talk back to the computer saying oh my com port is here so anyway i discovered there's a reason that... techies look at you first thing and say did you turn it off and on again right <laughs> and so um yeah apparently my my merlin board you know the little touch screen is still f it gets power both from the 120 volt in and through the uh board regulator and and it also can get five volt functionality from the USB port for for my for my PC. Kind of cool. Hmm. And it's USB. It... Yeah, it's USB Type B, so it's the squarey one that has the two notches off the top two corners. Yeah, the printer USB port. <laughs> yep. And, and that goes into your printer. That's the one that goes in. Yep, that's the COM port. Uh, mine is micro USB micro, so I can use any basically any uh table on it well, that's cool most of what I mean, i've like got I is can... the USB C cables so i do still need an adapter but that's a personal choice well see and yeah. mine also still has like like a micro card reader so i can put a micro card in there or it has the usb type a for a thumb drive and if i want to plug an android into it all i gotta do is just use my uh, usb type a to usb c adapter and i can you know, output Android to it too. So it's not like mm. I lose any functionality. That is kind of cool. Can I ask, is there a reason why you have it plugged into your computer to talk to Cura? What do you do with your printer while using Cura? Uh, well, Cura monitors my printer while I'm printing. Oh. I did not know it does that. Yeah. I use Simplify 3D for that particular function. I didn't know Kira could do that. That's cool. Does it have like a console or something for checking stuff? No, I just selected my printer with Kira. Kira node loads my printer. And then you've got the thought the, the top three tabs where you load your build plate. And then you've got your, uh, uh, oh my gosh, the editing one where, where you can see, you, you can see the way it's going to print. And then you've got your oh, third monitor. One the monitor. Mm -hmm. Oh, I had no idea. Wow. <laughs> I'm checking so, that out right now. So what usually, so I'm not plugged into my printer, so I just got a big gray screen on this. What do you see on that when you have your printer hooked up? So it'll show me the bed temperature, the the extruder temperature, uh, the estimated plastic usage, and the uh, estimated printing time and the current printing time. I'm going to have to look into that. That's pretty cool. If something like that works well, I'm going to have to see if there's a, a Wi-Fi device out there that I can uh, plug in to USB that 
I could. I'm I'm sure there is something you can move a USB device, turn a USB into a Wi-Fi device. Yeah, I think if you have, I think you have, if you have Octoprint, uh, you can do something like that. And I know Kira Kira should still monitor it. Yeah, there there is a couple boards out there that uh, that do do that kind of stuff natively. I don't want to go and switch out my board for that, but it'd be neat to see. I'm gonna have to look into that to see if I can do. (laughs) You said I have seen. Like a, it's basically a wireless switch that uses the Octoprint to track multiple machines, which is okay. where the real power of that software is. And for like a a, a 3D printer farm, um, a lot of people will have that going on. And being able to just print directly to a machine when it's done rather than the... This is actually the first time I've ever used the term because I only just learned it from you, Andy. But other Let's than the sneaker, net, the sneaker net, the sneaker net. What, like Converse or what? Yeah, it, it, literally, you unplug from your computer and you walk over and plug into the other thing, the sneaker net. <laughs> That's how literally. I print with mine. <laughs> That's how I do mine. That's why I put my printer right next to my computer, so I don't have to walk all the way across the room to oh, use see, it. And then I just I use I use a remote desktop software if I'm not near my computer. Mm-hmm. I can just wake uh wake wake it up from sleep and then print something to my printer via remote com- remote computer. That that does work. I mean, I, mean, I, I can do, I got I can a, do an I can iPad card. Yeah, so I can I can be at work. And pull up my phone, and if I, I know I've got plastic loaded, I can just remote in and say, "Okay, open Cura, print this thing for me." You know, wow. Be so can you print your? Can you with your computer hooked up to the the printer? Can Cura force your printer to print something without going to uh, taking the file to a USB drive and popping that into your printer? Yeah, literally, you'd load oh. the STP file into Cura and run it right to the printer. Okay. Or I didn't know you could do that either. Yeah. You slice it and run it right to the printer, and you don't have to save it as a G code or anything. It just runs it right to the That's printer. That's cool. I'm going to look into a, a Wi Fi USB. The closest I ever got to this was using a iFi SD card, which you could put into the printer. Once you set it up for your Wi Fi internet, you can put it into the printer, and then I can go upstairs to my laptop that I usually use everything on. And I can have it as a drive on that machine, the USB card that's downstairs. And I can copy files to it or remove files from it, but I still got to go downstairs and start the printer. That is Ah. really kind of cool, especially for the monitoring. I I don't think I'm too comfortable at doing like a long print and relying on that communication to stay stable the entire time for the print. That's great. That's great. But um, I'm going to have to look into that for monitoring. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So, um. I mean, as long as I can rely on my computer to be uh, running the the whole time it's printing, which I can, yeah. um, I can do long, long prints. I mean, that's how I've done all my printing. So those those twelve and fourteen hour prints I, I I've been doing, yeah, just yeah. like that. So okay, I mean, and and that's the advantage to having the printer plugged into my office computer is because I can remote in and just print up anything I want from anywhere oh that's cool that makes actually a lot of sense because i remember you always described your yourself as having a uh, printer laptop a printer machine you know and that's why i always ask you do you use octoprint or something like that on it you know to to run your printer that sounds like you you actually kind of were this whole thing you were using cura's version of that 
That's neat. Sort of. I, I use Team Viewer and then just remote into the desktop and use yeah. it like I as if you were sitting there, but you're not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you're still like on that machine. The machine mm -hmm. yep. is feeding the printer. So you're just using your G code interpreter on your printer only and and letting Kira do all the, the heavy lifting. That's neat. That is neat. Yep. Yep. I did not know it could do that. <laughs> I'm learning a bunch of things today. It seemed the simplest way to just print was just to have it on a on on my office machine that I already have there anyway. So Yeah, no, that does make total sense. It does. That's neat. Hmm. I do have this spare computer, and this whole time I've been thinking I could use that <laughs> rather than having it connected to my media server. I have a dedicated, just cheap laptop. This thing cost me 50 bucks and use it as the intermediary. Just save the STLs to it whenever they get created, saved, and then remote desktop into it and have it slice and print just there. Yep. Yeah. So. My only drawback was that I, when when the new version of Cura came out, you know, like I said, it was an older, it was my older office computer running Windows Seven, and so I couldn't, I had to upgrade, I had to upgrade it to Windows Ten to get fun to get the newer Cura to load in. So I ended up just popping my old laptop and just switching it out, you know, because it's running Windows Ten, it runs the new Cura. I'm liking it. Hmm. Yeah, is. that's neat. Most of what I've seen, because I've done a little bit of research, but not a ton, um, is folks will take like an Arduino or something and basically load a mobile vision version of Windows on it and um, basically treat it the same way we're talking about here. Yeah, I wonder uh, if I could do that with a Raspberry Pi. Yeah, I've heard people doing that with Pis. I don't think Arduino I would be powerful enough. But yeah, I've got a Raspberry Pi. It's got its own Pi operating system. I I wonder if that would work in the same aspect. I think that's one of the things you can use to run Octoprint on, actually. Raspberry Pi with Octoprint. Yeah, and honestly, you, you don't need Windows necessarily to connect to uh, your printer. If you can load a, a mobile version of Linux onto the thing, it'd work just as well. And it tends to be a little bit lighter depending on your use for it. So. Yeah. Well, I have mine physically plugged into my router right now because I'm using it as a as an ad hole. But um, yeah, I don't see why I couldn't experiment with. Although my setup works great as it is. So eh. if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yep. Because I just barely finished fixing it. <laughs> Fear. It does look like uh, Octoprint does run on Raspberry Pi. It looks like that's what it's actually designed for, just looking at this right off the bat. It's not something I'm cool. too familiar with, but yeah. It Which is, is kind of a shame. So when I first bought my Raspberry Pi, I bought it like, um, well, I bought it like two years before I had a printer and ended up spending 20 bucks to get this nice little aluminum and steel case for the Raspberry Pi. And now everybody's just printing them <laughs> like yeah. have you seen the mini nintendos those things are kind yes, of yeah cool. those are actually uh when you were talking about making modifications to your nes i think it you was what you were talking about chris yep i mentioned that um a friend had one of the mini nintendos those things are cute they're only four inches by five i guess basically yeah, take the little regular 
original Nintendo controllers with the USB cable to plug them in, an SD card in the back with every Nintendo game ever written because they're that small. Yeah. And uh, then you got what you need right there. I mean, heck, Ooh. I did that with my N- Nintendo DS. You can buy what's called an R4 or an Edge, and you put all the games on this little SD card, and, and then you put the loader program on and put it in the Nintendo DS, and now your little DS plays all of the old Nintendo games, all the old SNES games, um, and uh, you can f- you can find a lot of the actual DS games, too, to play on it also. Kind of cool. Yeah, that's neat. And now Switch is redoing a bunch of those games. So if you want a higher resolution and a little bit better uh, graphics for all those old games, you get to pay for the new version or find somebody who has already made a mobile copy of it. Yeah, that's a neat option for them to be able to do. I mean, it definitely gives them, you know, to be able to use all that IP that they have. Well, and to be able to re-release it. To be fair, actually, I bought or the wife bought me uh, uh, the Legend of Mana, um, the old old SNES series for for our Switch for me for Christmas. So you know, yeah, some of them are definitely a good investment. At some point, I imagine they're doing the same thing that Disney does, where when that IP is reaching the end of its uh, copyright period, they release a new version so that they continue to control it. Yeah, as much as possible. Anyway, um, so, I yeah. wonder if a new version is like they made a made it a multi pack, so now that they so they can still hold all of the copyrights, or if that counts or not. I do feel that's kind of what they've been doing. Like they took all the N sixty four games and made them available for, if you join the uh, Nintendo program, whatever subscription program it is. And I say all. They're building the library still. Um, they only just in the last couple of weeks released the 007, and uh, they keep adding to it. So, so I wonder how 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 much better people are going to do playing 007 with new contr- with, with the new style controllers versus the N64 style controllers. So, it's actually literally a straight, probably much better from the old version to the new version. And I didn't realize, I didn't think of it at the time when I was playing 007, but the joysticks don't match with modern joystick operation necessarily. You're forced to either move forward or turn with the same joystick or strafe and look down or up with the other joystick. And modern... If you think about it, with most of your modern games, one joystick is all movement and the other joystick is all look. And so it takes some forced uh, <laughs> forced perspective to change back to something that you did 20 years ago and didn't realize that there was that much evolution <laughs> in operation since then. Yeah, although it kind of reminds me of when I, uh, I, I played Halo for... I still play Halo, but it was the only game I played for like a good few years there. And then I got Skyrim. Well, in Halo, you can switch the which which thumbstick, you know, moves you around and which one you look around with. Mm-hmm. But in Skyrim, you can't do that. And so they were backwards from what I had used. So it took mm-hmm. me like, I don't know, well over a week 
of one to two hours every day playing with playing with Skyrim to get myself adjusted back to okay that my left hand moves moves me around and my right hand makes me look around. <laughs> I will say a lot of games are very configurable, like Halo it is one of the big ones that I've played where you have three or four dozen different configurations so that you can play how you like the controls. But when you play a game that doesn't give you the options, they tend to all be the same way. Yeah. Well, so, you know, at least they've got that universality going for you for them, which is kind of nice. Yeah. So Kevin, have you worked on anything this week? Yes, I have. In fact, um, I, Excuse me. I printed up um, a couple of yarn bowls. Uh, the first one I did, um, the supports failed about two thirds of the way through, maybe three fourths of the way through, because as I checked on it to see how it was progressing, I noticed I could actually see the LCD screen lighting up underneath the resin, which is a clear indicator with uh, opaque gray resin that you don't have enough in there so i added more resin and then uh, the bowl itself worked though and so it made me say well i wonder if i need to have any supports inside the bowl because i couldn't just print the bowl um with the bottom against yeah. the build plate otherwise it wouldn't fit it would be way too small and i i did have to scale it down significantly anyway um in order to get it to fit on the build pr- plate and then print it on its side but it's still it's still big enough for my needs. Uh, when I do a knitting project, I don't I don't ball up the yarn until the skein is getting so empty that it starts tangling mm-hmm. itself because of it's just collapsing in on itself anyway. Um, well, I imagine those would still be fun for tatting too. I haven't ever done any tatting, oh. but anyway, anyway. So I then the first one made me say, do I really even need to have these internal? supports to make sure the far end of the bowl prints properly and so i tried another one without the internal supports and it worked just fine so uh, i had i now have two of those yarn bowls and the one i didn't have to do any work to get the inside of the bowl to be perfectly smooth the other one i had to do quite a bit of work with um with my rotary tool to uh wear down all the burrs and make it smooth So you needed the tool more with the supports? Yeah. Am I hearing that right? Yeah. I guess that kind of makes sense because they would have to be connected. Yeah. It's more work. Another good reason to try to design around not needing supports for things. Well, and see, this bowl was initially designed not to need supports except for um, on the parts that have the holes that the yarn can go through. Um, But... That's also assuming that you're using an FDM printer. Um, or at the very least that you got a yeah. print space big enough right. that you can print it. But since I had to print it like that, then uh, supports became right. more necessary. Uh, or or so I thought. Um, the slicer said that the top of that, or the far end of the bowl would need supports. But it turned out to not be the truth. Hmm. Huh. So in other words, SLA slicers lie. Sometimes. (laughs) You just follow programs. Um, If you want a bigger bowl, Kevin, 
I can I don't mind printing you off one. Right. Um, if you decide you want one. Yeah, I'll 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 see I'll see if I get to that point. Um, okay. But I mean these are like I I haven't measured the diameter of the narrow part of this yet, but I estimate that it's four inches. Yeah, and mine are close to two hundred millimeters across. So which is significantly many much larger, bigger. yeah. That's like a little less than eight inches, right? Something like that. Um, it's weird. I don't even think in inches half the time. Maybe not so weird. Let's see what my is that something that if you wanted one bigger that you could have cut it up into pieces and then printed them individually and glued it back together as one solid piece. Yeah, yeah, that's right about eight inches, U.S. That's uh not to go back to my whole phone case thing, but. I think I might wind up doing something similar to that where I've got a three millimeter thick surface for the cover of my phone. I'm thinking about maybe taking maybe an inch and a half to two inches after the light, the living hinge to be a flap that I can glue down to the other side. That way I don't have to try to try to print, you know, two or 360, 370 millimeter long project on a 300 by 300 bed, you know, Mm -hmm. Or think thinking I'm, even of printing it vertically, you know, with the, the case sitting on its side, but print it so that the hinge is slightly folded to be able to get more space out of it, too. Uh, print it already half folded. That's brilliant. So I think I had suggested maybe uh, it was in one of our previous episodes uh, when you were talking about the phone case. I was saying, you know, it could be easier and possible to just print it in two pieces and then just glue the you know, glue, glue one in the ins- in an insert to the other or something. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's definitely an option. It was one I was trying to avoid, though. I, I like the one-piece thing. And, and to be able to gloat that I printed something that's that big off of my, you know, tiny bed was kind of fun, too. But um, Yeah, I think it's more just about knowing when to use which, which type, I guess. Um, either way is fine, Andy. We're doing this because we like to flex every once in a while so right (laughs) well there's the kind of nice part about the phone case of having the outside of the case being against the bed because then you get that nice absolutely flat surface for the case you know yeah yeah but having it printed sideways with layer lines that make up the face of the of the case i don't know if that would be a bad thing that might be just fine that might be cool. At least you could show it to people and go, and by the way, I planted it sideways. You see these lines? That's a layer each. <laughs> I know my, my mother-in-law My mother-in-law is just fascinated by when I said, yeah, it's not such a great design for these bells. You see these layer lines, you know? I mean, it's not the, the fault of the design. It's the printer, yeah. specifically me. But... uh. <laughs> still kind of cool and she enjoys them yeah you know and yeah and in the future you know if the layer lines end up being kind of a thing um like i was saying you can actually smooth them out quite a bit by using a heat gun you can use a heat gun and then just smooth it down a little bit mm-hmm. um if, it, if it's a problem and it wasn't a problem for me before not really um i did start caring a little bit more i guess and that's why I went from the 0.24 thick layer lines to 0.20. And just adding that extra, going from four layers 
a millimeter to five layers a millimeter um, changed the resolution more than enough for anything I care to do. So, and that's, that's crazy. That use your sub. I mean, because I've just been using point one six for since I first got the dang thing. So, I've been a point two guy. I I, I have printed at point one two for a few projects just out of curiosity, but I haven't stuck with it by any means, mostly because it takes three times as long to run a print off at point one two. But um yeah. Yeah, the point two zero seems like a happy medium between time and uh resolution mm-hmm. for me. So Yeah. And it de- also depends, you know, are you going are you are you printing something to be functional and not necessarily seen? versus are you printing something to be seen then maybe yeah you want to kick up the resolution and let it take a little more time so well and even my statues that i printed they were at 0.24 my desk parts were all at 0.24 and it's all still perfectly fine i just a little bit you know sometimes the layer lines can bother you just that itty bitty little you know so going to the point two is like I said, that middle ground for me. That, that works. You said like 2.0, that that's what you went to? 0.2 millimeters. Are you really printing at 0.2 millimeters? Yeah. Yeah, wow. I've been printing at 0.16. You say 2.0, Andy, that's 2 millimeters, two millimeters. thick. You got a point. I'm the broken one here. <laughs> yeah, 0.2. That's what I meant the whole time. <sighs> <laughs> well, you started with point two, and then you started to going with two point oh. I was yeah, worried you for know you what? there for just a moment. And I and printed point zero five. <laughs> Freaking SLA. Got a got a flex, man. I could print point zero five. There's just no value in it for me. Yeah, yeah we could do that too, Kevin. It just <laughs> you know, takes days. Print small things. Actually, now that I think about it, though, if I was working on a statue where I didn't want to see any layer lines, I'll have to uh, consider going to 0.05 instead of the what Kira says is the high quality at 0.12. Yeah. Just to see what changes. It'll also give me an opportunity to see if uh, my hot end will cook my plastic (laughs) while it's waiting to be extruded. Yeah, that's what, definitely what, like that's a PLA mean? only kind of print doing that because you definitely don't want anything stringy when you're going over the print over and over and over again that many times. Honey, and, uh, definitely nothing that would bake like like uh, PETG. Wife walks in and goes, "What is burning?" I was about to <laughs> no get it. You're I've been uh, in here all day. I don't smell anything. On fire. Burning. What's going on? <laughs> oh, I'm just cooking dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my hobby printer probably should not be pushed to that fine a resolution. Yeah, it's fun to kind of play with and see what it can do sometimes. I would only do it with PLA, though, if I was you. <laughs> yeah. And if you're okay with cleaning a clog because you definitely pushed it too hard, I yeah. know myself. I mean, yeah. I could also go even lower, but I don't see the point in going less than 0.05, but... Uh, flex, I, flex, flex. I think it said that I could go as low as 0. 0.02. All right. Well, Kevin, yeah, I can flex too. 
Oh, hey, look at that beach ball. <laughs> it's over there, or maybe it's over there. It's about this big. <laughs> and of course, that's a bunch of activity that our listeners may have context for. But more than anything, they're just going, what the? F- Come on, guys, get to the thing. Yeah, yeah. Doing, get to the monkey. Doing visual yeah. things makes great listening. I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, get to the meat uh, of the program here. <laughs> Well, um, my projects this last week were hoop looms to go with my uh, yarn bowls for my nephew, and I'm going to show him how to use those. That's a neat thing to be able to build. Yeah, I put I put the ballad of Frankie D in there, which was a three day journey of unclogging my hot end (laughs) again, and it was because I got a couple of prints of those looms that were spongy for the last half. And yeah. uh, that was, I guess, an epic that I won't get into this episode because we're running longer than usual just on the what have well, you done? Yeah, episode. we're almost an hour in yeah. and we haven't even gotten to the topic yet. Well, that's nothing <laughs> new. But <laughs> the whole going this long on the projects thing is kind of new. So our topic this week is unexpected solutions so this is a topic that i was oh sorry i was like i know that we've got a lot less of these but we do still have a few so maybe it's good that it took us a little longer to get here yeah yeah perhaps i really loved this topic idea but when i sat down and tried to think what what i could share about it i wasn't i was kind of coming dry on this one Hmm. what are some of the things you came across there chris well there was the snowflake thing right yeah, we've already talked about where I glued that card. That was a quick, hot yeah. moment, expected solution, and it worked. Got my yeah, stuff it worked out well, too. So, um, there's another thing. So, uh, like, last May, I was printing one of the in-laws some Celtic coasters, you know, for her birthday. So I did the color-changing plastic for the coasters themselves, but I didn't uh, – I, I, I picked a different file to do for – the coaster holders so i mean so they'd match and they looked really cool but the coaster holder itself ended up being i did not look at the size and i did not contemplate resizing it before i started printing it this is where i learned hey you need to look at your relative sizes when you first start putting them on your boat you know <laughs> so yeah a learning lesson for me and so the, the first one uh printed bigger than i needed uh, by a good inch, inch and a half in diameter. Okay. Or not diameter, in, yeah, in diameter. I was thinking circumference for a quick second, but yes, diameter. So, um, but I printed it out of white plastic and it had this nice little opening in the front and um, I just put it upstairs and saw that the, the, the wife has uh, a lot of little penguin miniatures. So, Put it up there. We threw all the penguin miniatures in it, and now it's part of our winter decorations. That's cool. Nice. Crazy. So it wasn't a complete loss. Nope, not complete loss. But it was unexpected, and actually, it's it's uh, a nice little container for all of our little uh, penguin miniatures too. So that that actually ended up being handy. Hmm. Good deal. Um. Let's see. What else have I I I done? There was. Oh, yeah. So I was printing a, pr- uh, and shortly before this, I think it was like one of the first things I printed 
when I was figuring out infill and all that was I printed a pencil holder, right? And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, it's one of those hexagonal, you know, both vertical and then it's got all the holes that are also hexagonal through the sides, right? Okay. Um, but I printed it at like, uh, I think it was somewhere between 80, 80 to 90% infill. So it took forever <laughs> and it printed really solid used up a lot of plastic and it was heavy and i'm going i don't really want to use this for pencils and things now because it's like it's kind of heavy it's more like a paperweight (laughs) you know a couple of episodes ago we were talking about printing like hammers and that sort of thing (laughs) that would work yeah if i had glued glued it to something yeah you know put glued it to a handle it would have been a pretty, pretty good mallet Anymore, so, they okay. use epoxy to connect the handle to a sledgehammer and that sort of thing. It's the same idea. But, you know, and I had been looking for a nice little way to store all the tools that I got with my with my printer and the ones that I was adding to my little early repertoire set. And this ends up, ended up working just perfect because it's because it's so solid. It'll hold the dikes really well and it'll hold the um, the knife and the, you know, and the scrapers and, you know really 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 well and keeps everything all upright because it's so darn heavy (laughs) so yeah unexpectedly printed myself a nice tool holder for all my stuff yeah that is a good one this is a little off topic but i find myself wondering about what it would take to print a dead stop mallet no dead stops just are filled with sand for the most part aren't they yeah so you just pause you pause the print you know uh midway or while it's printing one side dump all the bbs or sand or whatever inside of the void yep yeah or even better steel bearings yeah well i almost wonder if the smaller more granular inside would be more effective because it's not about weight at that point right it's about absorbing all of the impact yeah the bounce impact yeah i didn't say they had to be big bearings fair tiny ones (laughs) well i just think sand at that point anyway yeah Yeah. oh that would work sand's easier to get your hands on yeah especially in utah yeah go out in the backyard and get some sand yep well uh the unexpected solutions that i came across was uh when i burn out the main board of my printer and it needed to purchase a new one it didn't have merlin on it and um so i had to locate the operating system that allowed me to upgrade merlin so i was running a newer version and then right there and then i had all the source code for merlin so i could do all the little tweaking that i wanted to do so it was kind of unexpected gains for burning out my main board um, there that turned out to be almost worth having to spend you know the money to buy a new main board for the printer just to discover those options were there you know Hmm. That was kind of one. Um, switching over to FreeCAD, um, I've noticed doing uh, uh, chamfers and fillets. It's a little bit more. You got to be a little bit more tender with it. You can't. It, sometimes it's hard to get it to do what you want it to do. And out of frustration the other day of trying to cut a fillet on an already filleted surface next to a chamfered surface, and <laughs> it was complicated. I don't blame the program for saying what. But um, uh, I wound up taking and, and doing a, a cut manually for the, uh, the, the fillet that I wanted to be done. 
and it was just a straight fillet for just straight through for the for this one but uh you know i i wound up just using the uh uh, pocket feature with this the extrude cut feature in FreeCAD uh, to cut the fillet itself and it just like worked flawlessly and that the unexpected solution here is I could make a fillet of any kind of shape I wanted to at this point like I could do anything with this and if I do got to go a rounded corner and stuff like this which I haven't played with yet but should be easy and that's using like guide curves for a loft cut. or a loft yeah. um so, well, yeah, and if your edge is a little more complex, you just set the edge as the path and it'll follow the path. So, yeah, yeah, so I'm excited to play around with that. It, it already is quite the solution for straight uh, fillet and chamfers that might be more complicated, but uh, there might be even more of a solution for, for doing guide curves like that and, and making them however you want them. It's nice to have yeah. that little extra control. But uh, you know, those are those are the only two that I could come up with right off the bat. Unexpected solutions. It's, it sounded like such a great topic at the time. I still really like it, but <laughs> just don't have a lot of examples of it. Well, and I would accept that there's an aspect of it that's like, okay, I found the solution. I can do the print that I've been fighting with for the last week, and now that that's <laughs> done, I can move on to the next project, and we don't think about it anymore. Yeah, yeah. no kidding, no kidding. Yeah, the only thing I could think of that I've done is when I was. <clears throat> Excuse me. I was trying to design in FreeCAD uh, a little um, score marker token for the uh, um, Ticket to Ride expansion I printed for my wife. And uh, when it when it put when I measured the token that came with the game in diameter, I went into FreeCAD, and where it said radius, my brain said diameter. And so that's the number I put in. And so I ended up printing, and I've talked about this before, that that disc that was twice as big around or across as I needed it to be. But then I started learning about changing FEP and everything and found and learned that people would use a Gatorade cap as a spacer to make sure that their, their FEP had just a little bit of slack on it when they were changing it. And that ended up being the perfect size to be one of those spacers and it's not i don't have to justify having this random gatorade cap that just looks like a piece of garbage hanging around instead i've got something that looks like it was made for a specific purpose which it was <laughs> it's just not the specific purpose that i am now using it for so I that sounds, sounds kind of like when we were uh, buying toilet paper at 14 years old <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid to ask. <laughs> Tell them the story, Kevin. Um, well, so we were going to go toilet paper a friend's house, and um, we went to we we were 14, so we di didn't have a car or anything. So we walked to the grocery store or the convenience store or wherever, and bought a bunch of toilet paper. And um, the, the cashier, as she was ringing us up, said why do I get the feeling you're not going to use this toilet paper for its intended purpose? And we said, I don't know. We're not. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah. Got out of the And then we said, and we intend to use it. <laughs> right. And someone's uh, still right. young enough to not realize that if you give them plausible deniability, they will use it. Right. 
<laughs> yeah. How about you, Frank? You have any unexpected solutions? I have a solution that nobody seems to like, which is uh, cranking the temperature on my printer. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's not entirely true because I tried it and it worked great for me, but it's not, it's, it, it's, it's useful only in certain applications. So you need to take it as you take it as you need it. Well, and I honestly kind of got tired of fighting temperature because it was either just a little too high or just a little too low and I couldn't zero it in. And then I heard in another podcast, um, that, they don't care about temperature at all. They go to events and people ask them about temperature and they're like, I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you, you know, and it just got me to thinking, number one, I live at 4,000 feet above sea level. The recommended temperature from 90% of the users online are not going to be fighting with this same issue anyway. Right. Yeah. And if you ask anybody who cooks every Almost every recipe, especially with baking, but almost every other recipe, the temperatures are wrong because we're at the wrong altitude for it. Right. Yeah. And so a lot um, of recipes will even say, cook it at this temperature for this de- duration. But if you're gr- above this elevation, cook it at this other temperature for this other de- duration. Exactly. So because the heat differential is different here anyway, plus we're arid. So there's not the moisture in the air that a lot of other users online have to deal with. Which I think would be actually beneficial printing plastic, but yeah. In many cases, at least our plastic doesn't uh, absorb as much moisture when it's being stored. Yeah, because it's hygroscopic. Um, But yeah, going above the spec for the plastic from the uh, producer actually had the desired effect where I don't have to worry so much about where the temperature is while it's printing. So and that one was unexpected you, for me. Yeah. that's and Though it shouldn't have been, I guess. Uh, I will go ahead and follow you on that one because, yeah, that was unexpected for me too because you said that it worked better for you. So I followed suit. And, okay. yeah, go, going higher than the recommended temperature, I do that on all my plastic. and. It works great. Yeah. That has only I, brought me trouble. Huh. Not, and I'm sure you guys are right on your end that it is working better, but it has always gotten me trouble. I'm always well, uh, having clogging issues and things. You also print primarily with PETG, though, right? Uh, and PETG it's a little more touchy. And TPU. Yep. Yep. Those are a little more touchy. And most of my work has been in PLA, and okay. it is much more. Well, number one, it, it prints at a lower temperature than the PETG anyway. Yeah. And so um, it's not as, it's a little more forgiving with a higher temperature. Um, okay. I did notice that like with the PETG, I try going higher and I didn't realize this until actually fairly recently, um, unless you overwrite it, Marlin has a top... Uh, Temperature of hundred and no two. Mine was like two forty C. Two sixty, yeah. So yeah. trying to go higher than that is not going to have any effect, <laughs> unless, like I said, you overwrite it, and that has to be done on the back end. You can't do it with the dial. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me. That and you run a, a 
a what's it called a PE tube or whatever inside yours. You're not all metal, so I mean you could wind up melting that down too on the inside, running yeah. it hotter than the 260. Mm, um, which my, I'm sure my... has contributed to part of the problems that I had this week. So I did have to figure a way to work with the plastic differently than I have with the PE or the PLA, like enormously differently as far as temperature. Okay. And that might qualify as uh, uh, an unexpected solution, but from the other end, printing okay. the way I'm supposed to with it was unexpected. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the way I'm recommended to, yeah. to get it to work. But yeah. Because science oh. is weird like that. Yeah. <laughs> I had another unexpected solution. Um, uh, I, I just remembered. I remember I told you guys about that mysterious ticking noise I had, you know, what, in November, I think. Yeah, mouse yeah, bones inside of your machine. Or a cockroach, yeah. that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> cockroach legs. No, I, I think it was actually a stray piece of plastic or something, but I just used yeah. a little bit of compressed. Comp- and I was expecting to have to tear the whole bar- box apart and, you know, replace the internal fan because that's what happens. And nope, it was nice. And also the uh, the cooling fan on my hot end, actually, um, in the last two months, just randomly, um, like it'll not kick in at the beginning of the print after it gets to like the third, third or fourth layer when it's supposed to, and I'll hear kind of a e. So you flick it with your finger, you know, like right in the middle of the hub, and kicks on, works just fine. So I'm thinking, <laughs> what is going on with that? Do you guys know of any solutions for when they start to get gummy or or when when they start to break down like that? Because I want to buy a bunch of yeah a bunch of of cheap Chinese fans so that I can just replace it anytime it, it starts doing that. Because yeah, it's, it's you, bad you, when the you, bearings start going out on them. Yeah, well, what what you do is you put a little bit of white lithium, you know, like the spray can you get. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I've extended the life on loads of my fans since simply by getting a little bit of white lithium in the, in the bearings. Oh, that's neat. Do you do it right as you start re- or right as it starts to fell on you? Or is this something yep. you do before? Yep. It fell? This is, yeah. I, this, this is the point where it just, it, it doesn't kick in when it's supposed to, and you give it a little bit of encouragement by flicking it and it works fine. This mm-hmm. is the point where. You get the lithium grease on it, and it'll will it'll work fine like this for about another. At least the, when I've been when I when I did it with computer fans, the computer fans would, they they'd last about a year to two years after I'd greased it, and then start having then start acting up again. So you'd grease it again, flick it a flick it around a little bit, let it run, and you know the fan lasts. I I, I can say I I've actually <clears throat> lost the motor. The motor before I've lost the bearings on the the fans I've got. Hmm. That's kind of cool. I'll have to try that next time. So that strikes me as something that you could do as preventative maintenance too. Like when you first get the fan, and then it won't wear out as fast in the first place, and probably get more life out of it. That's a good point. Yeah, because that white lithium grease on the little spray spray can, you know that it, it's it's specifically for you know high high movement you know low oil low density oil applications so mm-hmm. yeah that's interesting maybe just buy the fans and pull off the the plastic parts 
<laughs> so you've just got the motor and redesigned the motor with a closed bearing? <laughs> or <laughs> so something that you can hook the spray tube to every so often and <laughs> kind of like a Zerk fitting. Yeah, <laughs> there, there you, you go. go. There you go. <laughs> hmm. Oh, train skiers are going. <laughs> oh, they're always running. You have no idea how many things I've thought of to modify my printer or to make something better somewhere else. And five minutes later, I can't even remember what the project was. Well, maybe that's how you <laughs> filter everywhere. out what's practical. Maybe that's how you filter out what's practical. The stuff that really sticks is the stuff that <laughs> you can actually Could get be. around to. I'd accept that. <laughs> One of those prioritize and execute situations I'll it, where... I'll call it natural selection. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The ones who survive are the more resilient ideas. Yep. <laughs> Whether they're good or not is irrelevant. <laughs> the ones that stick to the memory a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Like a marshmallow gun? Yep. Except that. Yeah. I remember it was... Just after I got out of the military, coming to your place, and you were playing with your marshmallow gun and putting holes in your vinyl fence. Yeah. With marshmallows. <laughs> yeah. So not necessarily know. the best ideas, but gosh, they stick out. Yeah. We were so doing we it for an hour before we thought, hey, you know what? Your roommate drives a BMW and it's right in the line of these marshmallows. We should probably check on that car. <laughs> no kidding. That was some good times. I wound up painting the whole thing white and it's been used at multiple weddings as a garter cannon. Well, there you go. Boom, baby. Kind of in yeah. hindsight, I wonder. I mean, you made it out of pretty durable fittings in the first place so none of them will probably need to be replaced in the near future yeah, i wonder how many of those pieces could be replaced by 3d printed stuff though yeah i mean a good part of it i mean it was built mostly out of pvc a ball valve and an old uh, fire extinguisher can and it's air powered so you just charge it up with an air compressor mm. it was breech loading so it had a metal pin to hold the breech together but uh other than the tank and the valve I think you could probably print everything. Although the uh, just the the stress of moving it around and stuff, I'd be worried about breaking it. Yeah, delaminating sure. it, and it wouldn't hold the compression very well. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately. But still, it was a fun project. I'm um, I'm looking forward to doing tubes like that when uh, when it comes to um, your uh, project there, Chris, for fixing your canopy making the new tube adapters for that. Um, I think that's something we're going to have to keep the lamination uh, or delamination in mind for, uh, for when you make those adapters. But Yeah, I'm going to try to follow suit with what Frank was saying where he puts supports on it and you know prints it vertically uh, at a 45-degree angle because that might actually give me the best offset from where the tubes are being inserted to avoid delayering. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking that feels right. Yeah. So it's Although, so, so the if you do what, at, at, at a 45 degree angle to the force, if yeah. there's force, yeah, then it's if not. You do wind up. Sorry, it's not likely to break. If it breaks across a line, it'll have a bunch of stuff intermingled with it, and it won't be a straight horizontal or vertical break, which feels like a 
stronger part. Yep, we'll so. experiment. I'm gonna, you know, print one up, put it on a pole, and then start hitting it on things. See what happens. <laughs> and your commonality between the non-planar printing, where <laughs> instead of having the interlinking uh, weave for the layers, but yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. my brain just latched onto that one. Probably means it's about time to wrap this up. Yeah, we're yeah. about the the right time. It's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll wrap you. What? Wrap yeah. up. Doesn't even make any sense. Go wrap yourself, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't let's know. Make like a tree and get out. <laughs> All right, Biff. <laughs> Side note. The actor that played Biff has gotten so much crap. He's actually very smart. He's a he's a great guy for what he's I also hear. very he's nice. He, he's a comedian, yeah. which means he's very smart compared to a lot of people. Right. Yeah. And uh, he, he just he gets so much crap for the things that his character does, and he's he's like, you realize I'm an actor, right? <laughs> I got I, 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 my, my typecast moved into my actual life. <laughs> Yeah, he's a very nice guy by all accounts. Just yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I've seen a couple of his videos when he talks about it. He seems like he'd be a, a great guy to go have a beer with. Yeah, I agree. Get him and Mike Rowe in one room, and you're just gonna have a good time all night. Oh, I would love to have a sit down with Mike Rowe. That would be a <laughs> wonderful conversation. I agree. But yeah, well, let's do if this. We keep I'm... on getting bigger. Maybe we can have him on the podcast. Or, you know, he might invite us to be on his podcast. That would be its yeah. own oddity. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what do you guys do? Oh, we're just amateurs. <laughs> All the amateurs I know are billionaires, guys. <laughs> That's not, not us. us. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. We, we do this for the fun of it, not because we want to get paid. So. Right. Yeah, yeah, this doesn't bring you any money at all. It's an excuse to hang out and do something together. Right, which is why we spend 45 45 minutes talking about everything but the topic. Right. (laughs) (laughs) The topic gets us here. It's the important part. Right. True. And we we do eventually get around to it. We got to the topic, so we're good. (laughs) Plus, if if we never get to the topic, we could just sit down and think about what we discussed most about and call that the topic for the video. Yeah. When you need a recover, why not? (laughs) We can revisit. That works. Not a problem. And we can come back to that. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to the very end because, you know, we chat and do things that are not conducive to ending a conversation. If you would like to... Or rather, if you like what you hear, please give us all the stars and subscribe. We are available through a wide variety of podcast vendors, and so we're easy to share. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Wink, wink. There you go. Know what I mean? Know what I mean? (laughs) If you have feedback or if you have content requests, please let us know. You can find us in our Facebook group, Amateur3D Pod, or you can email us at panelists at amateur3dpod.com. And if you must reach out individually, you can do that at Franklin, Kevin, Andy, or Chris at amateur3dpod.com. The music in this episode was written by Kevin Buckner. And our panelists are me, Franklin Christensen, 
and my friends, Kevin Buckner, Chris Weber, and Andy Cotta. Until next time, we're going offline. See ya! Sign off are you, suckers. Dear. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, we're going offline. See ya! Sign off are ya, suckers. Dear. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't that talk about great. that at the beginning of this. And uh, I wasn't th- thinking about it until I was halfway through that outro. Do you guys want to do your personal sign-offs? No, I, I think it's great the way you do it and... If there's a little outburst like that, then so be it. That's that was awesome. <laughs> that, but however, fine. I myself Actually, I don't think want that to say out. anything because the outro I think would become really long if each one of us tried to say something. But if it's an outburst like that, then it doesn't really take time. So, well, I, and I think Andy was just surprised that it happened too. Maybe next I week had, he won't be so surprised. I had to say something. Everybody else did. <laughs> Ha, <laughs> ha,